Welcome to X-Rated Movies. I'm one half of your hosting team, Matthew Fisher. And the other half of your hosting team, Ryan Whedon. And this is a podcast by two guys who used to date, but now... We debate movies. <laughs> I don't know. It still feels a little... Yeah, maybe we're just so used to the old one that yeah. we're breaking in this one. Okay, yeah. New shoes. Yeah. Or like a new razor. Gotta break it in. Yeah. Matt? Yes. I heard a stati- Well, I read a statistic. I didn't hear it. I read it. Mm-hmm. I heard it in my brain's ear. Well, it wasn't a statistic. It was just that like most people listen to podcasts on their own. It's not something you like put on for the family. It's not like a family friendly thing. For our listeners at home, Ryan just made an arm gesture like he was dropping a needle on a record. <laughs> That's how people listen to podcasts, right? <laughs> Why uh, have I been printing vinyl yeah. <laughs> all this time? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no one like it's not. I, there's no. It's like, not a group activity. Yeah, there's no like Norman Rockwell painting of people gathering around an iPod and listening. You know, <laughs> I would love. A, <laughs> I'm. Our listeners who are painters out there, please <laughs> sketch something, watercolor something, do something of just like a poverty-stricken Depression-era <laughs> family gathering around a uh, iPhone speaker <laughs> and listening to a podcast put our logo on like the the screen the <laughs> iphone screen but um it made me wonder how you like to listen to podcasts matt i almost exclusively listen to podcasts at work mm-hmm. you know desk job i just put in the headphones data enter my way through the day mm-hmm. and yeah it's sort of how I tune out the interoffice politics that I have no interest in anymore. Like when I was new at work, I would like, you know, pull out one headphone and like take a listen. <laughs> uh-huh. Now I just have like no interest in it. I'm also like junior tech support in the office. Okay. So I'm just like, if someone wants me, they know where to find me. I don't want to like hear someone say, oh, my printer's not working. And like, hint, hint, Matt, please come <laughs> over here. If, I wish some young millennial would yeah. come over and help me. Yeah, exactly. I was just like, if they want my help, they can ask for it. And I'm more than happy to help them, but I don't want to like do this thing of like feeling obligated to just pony up my time. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, th- I mean, that's why I subscribe to a billion podcasts. Like, I guarantee you, I listen to more podcasts than anyone else you know. Okay. So mostly just at work then? Like, almost 100%. Like, uh, I get the daily NPR politics podcast, Mm, mm -hmm. and I'll typically listen to that in the shower in the morning. Okay. But other than that, no, I don't think I listen to podcasts anywhere else. Yeah. To and from work and at work, and that's about it. It's a real uh, intimate thing. And, um, I mean, in the case of your showering, intimate. Mm -hmm. And so, I guess, I mean, I was also thinking, like, because I don't really listen to our podcasts after i'm done editing once in a while i mean you live with the podcast for so long before it's released so once in a while i'll go back and visit them but like i don't have a clear idea necessarily of what our voices sound like in people's ears okay (laughs) so uh i'm this is a question maybe to our audience like i'm just curious uh how do you listen to us is this something that you gather the family round for or (laughs) do you get home from work and Pour yourself a, a this mug is of just wine. You fishing for like, please listen to us while you masturbate. <laughs> now I listen to our episode three or four times during the course of the week after it's released. Oh my gosh! Mostly because I'm hearing for how many times I say uh or um. I try to cut all those out. Uh, so you're skewing my stats, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my Monday edit. 
<laughs> takes eight hours. <laughs> so I, I go through that and how many times I say like, mm-hmm. which I'll listen to other podcasts and I'll count the number of times they say like. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but when I say it, it's all I can hear. Mm-hmm. So I try not to like let that get to me. But yeah, every time I say like, it's just a little dagger in me. I try to watch my uh, in a ways. I still do those. Mm. And um, basically is one I use a lot. I found when I started like doing letterbox reviews, I did essentially, basically, or overall, like those types of phrases all the time. Yeah. yeah. And I've really tried to get away from those. I'm trying to work on my... Uh, um encouraging like i'm listening sounds like mm-hmm, mm, mm-hmm, see i try that, and mm. not do that because i f- i feel like when we're having a conversation it's important to do that but i on the podcast i don't think it comes across as me listening as it is me trying to interrupt you yeah yeah no I, it, it also kind of just sounds like um let's hurry this along sure sure <laughs> I, but I am I, I like that's just how I am in conversation you know I, I make those noises and everything so uh in real life conversation it's okay but for the podcast purposes I want to try and cut those out a little bit so yeah I, I mean during everyday conversations you just going oh uh-huh mm-hmm. uh-huh it wouldn't even register with me that you're like really making a noise but man on the podcast it sounds awful yeah and I just I'm just like shut up let him finish <laughs> that's why I've uh I've got these shock collars for us here uh, and every time one of those, I just happens. thought you were kinky. <laughs> uh, anytime one of us, you know, starts doing those, uh, you'll hear a little, bzzz, and that's what that is. I did run into a friend the other day, and he's like, "Oh, what have you been up to?" I was like, "Oh, you know, I just like grabbed some food, heading home, blah blah blah." And I was like, well, uh, "What have you been up to tonight?" He goes, "I just got back from an Eastim party," and I was like, "Okay, all right." little off base from mine, like, oh, just grabbing frozen pizza for dinner. <laughs> Wait, did you get, did you ask for details? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I was like, oh, what was that like? <laughs> uh, and he said that, like, once the voltage is at a certain point in his butt, mm. it just feels like a penis. Wow, okay. So it's like, you have to keep, like, for, for it to feel different than just getting fucked like it has to be like a actually like a lower voltage huh yeah is it like a rod that goes in there or something yeah okay yeah i asked him is it like when you put your finger on a plasma ball (laughs) (laughs) and he said no it's like a you know metallic shaft Mm -hmm. that gets inserted okay but this was a party yeah there was people there see that's the other part that's uh that's that's the that's the part I'm not sure. What, like, do you get an invitation or an evite? Oh, it'd be an evite because it's an East M. Yeah, that makes sense. It stands for electronic and I, invitation. And I was like, well, I must have gotten lost in the email. To go back to your point about podcasting uh, and how intimate it is, but it is sort of like the the newest fashion of storytelling. Like it's, you know, a variation on radio, but Mm -hmm. it is how a lot of times we tell these long form stories, you know, S-Town would be a good example. Mm -hmm. And so on the topic of storytelling, I think that brings us to today's movie. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, this conversation has been stimulating and you know what else is stimulating? Movies. (laughs) 
So I don't know. I think you kind of did a little better job than did I did. I, did <laughs> I, 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 I like yours a little better. You got the pun in there of stimulating. <laughs> oh my god! Today's movie is uh, the 2008 animated. I almost said classic, but that's it's too far. Sita sings the blues. I've been wanting to do this movie for a long time. I knew that in doing it, I would have to do a lot of research about Indian culture, the Hindu religion, and copyright laws. I did none of that. So <laughs> we'll just see what happens. I was honestly a little shocked when this started. Well, I mean, not right when it started, but, you know, 15 minutes in, give or take. I was like, this seems awfully religious for someone who, like, blanket all <laughs> religions or cults. I was like, this is something that I would choose because, you know, I'm broad-minded and not xenophobic. Oh, my God. (laughs) uh, But Mr. Like, stamp out religion in all forms over there. I was like, this is sort of an odd choice, I feel. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think there's value in the stories that religion tells. I just think that blindly following them and um, turning them into a faith is problematic. Because they're myths. (laughs) Everyone. Oh, no, like, I I agree with that, but, like, there's importance to derive from the stories. Sure, 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 And from, like, an anthropological sense, I think that they're important to know. sure. But, yeah, no one believes in Greek gods anymore, and at the time, people went to war for them, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, times change. Times change. This is a musical, animated movie, loosely based on the Ramayana, and I don't want to have to... Remind ya, that's how you pronounce it. Is this what this episode's gonna be? Yep, this is where I'm taking it. Okay, all right, I'm here for it. But it's about Sita who married Ram, Rama. I I think Rama. I think Rama. And um, it's the story of Rama, but told from Sita's perspective. But it also shows parallels to the director slash animator Nina Paley's life that was kind of going on around the same time. Is that what the... I thought it was just a modern day parallel used to help illustrate what this would look like in modern day. No, this was uh, the director, writer, main animator, uh, Nina Paley was going through, went through something that's very similar to what Sita went through. And so she decided to make this movie. Oh, okay. Boy, she should have dumped that guy's ass. I know he sucks. Also like we're jumping a little ahead here. I'm jumping a little ahead here. She looks kind of dowdy a lot of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then there's a scene where, you know, cartoon her is in like a bra and panties. I'm mm-hmm. like, she's got it going on. <laughs> Why is she wearing oversized t-shirts all the time? <laughs> she's fucking Heidi Klum over there. <laughs> You're like, Nina Paley. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm full on like Tex Avery cartoon over here. <laughs> I just assumed that her husband became gay in India because he just like, he's like, we don't kiss here and we don't have sex. Yeah, that was the weird part is like, okay, I can understand like adhering to cultural norms in a public spot that totally on board with that. Yeah, But then like they go home and he's like, good night. Well, here you are. Good night. And just, like, rolls over. And I'm like, ah, uh, it's been, what, six months a or wh- so? At least, a, yeah, a while, for sure. And yeah, that he was cheating on her. Mm, the whole time, yeah. I guess it doesn't have to be gay. I, just... I mean, he must have really drained those nuts, though, not <laughs> to at least, like, put out for, like, the sake of, like, <laughs> saving face. Yeah, Nina Paley's hot. Apparently. Yeah, exactly. According to the way she draws herself. 
she wins out in the end though because i think this movie is really good and i think it's pretty unique and uh and doesn't paint her ex in a nice light so she's got gun- she's got that going for her yeah yeah she kind of wins and actually and i'm just basing this on what i saw in the movie it looks like he's also some kind of drawer illustrator we don't even know his name yeah that's true and he never gets seen as being hot in like a thong or jock strap or something so yeah you know maybe she traded up in the long run yeah good for her but like when she like sublets her apartment she's like must love cats like you're leaving your cat behind i know she did deal breaker (laughs) isn't there like a thing at the end where it's like people moved in and took care of the cat and the cat's fine that's not what i'm concerned about what are you concerned about? I'm concerned that she left her cat behind. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Unless, like, they were already subletting, and that was, that was the, the original owner's cat. But, the cat inherited the apartment. I mean, it's in San yeah. Francisco, so... But we get the cats out of the way, it won't be too bad. Actually, according to the will, the cats own the house. You'd be their tenants. But, Matt, I don't even like those animated parts. I think squiggle vision is annoying. <laughs> like... Yeah, is, is that the technical term for it? Squiggle vision. Yeah, it's like home movies. Did you ever watch that show? Yeah, I, I no, I'm I'm doing a deeper cut. I thought it was like Doctor Cats. Oh yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, that's essentially the same brand of animation. Yeah, and I don't love it. Although I will say, I was noticing while watching it, the airport scenes are really good in Squiggle Vision somehow. Like she manages mm-hmm. to because like they're in color, but like everyone moving around them isn't. And uh, you could still make out, like, individual people walking behind them. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's Mm. probably difficult to do. Okay. There's, like, four types of animation. There's the squiggle vision. There's some cool, like, vector graphics flash stuff that usually happens during the songs. Okay. There's the uh, Rajput painting stuff where uh, they're talking about how... um, Well, first, there's, like, shadow puppets of people explaining the story of Rama. And then um, there's, like, the Rajput paintings, which are, like, a style of painting in India that, like, tell stories like mm-hmm. this. Okay. And those are sort of, like, when they want to do funny dialogue of the stories. Whoops. I guess you were pure after all. Uh, will you forgive me, Sita? Of course, Rama. I live only for you. The way that, like, the story of Sita is told... I do actually like quite a bit because it's sort of, it's like three people are telling the story and they're all sort of injecting their opinions on it a little bit or their perspective on what's happening. Cause the, at least what I derived is that the story is not super clear. I was thinking like, there's a lot of biblical stories where you don't get solid. Like we don't know why Cain killed Abel. Like there's a lot of theories, Mm -hmm. but no one's certain why. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking like, this is the same thing. Like, we know, like, the events that transpire, but we kind of have to, like, inject our own feelings as to, like, the motivations or the mindset of the characters at that time. Yeah. My understanding is that this existed as an oral tradition for, like, 300 years. But then, like, once people started writing it down, there's a specific poet whose name I don't know that begins with a V. Uh, that's the one that a lot of people... Do we need to remind you of that? <laughs> See, I can just throw it right back at you. He wrote it down, and that's the one that'll... It's it's sort of like the King James version of the Rama, Ramayan, Ramanya. <laughs> Shit. Ramayan. Ramayan. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I want you to release a bonus episode <laughs> of just you trying to pronounce these Indian names and words. I really practiced, too. This is... Apologies. This is gonna go rough. 
quick rundown of the Sita story, maybe. She marries this guy named Ram. Uh, he gets banished because his dad's wife is... I don't know. Well, he's going to be, like, made the king. Right. And she doesn't want that. She wants her her son to be the king because he has three wives. And uh, so he gets banished for 14 years. And Sita's like, I, oh, this is another thing. Like, the whole Ram, Ramayana, there we go, is all about, uh, well, uh, it, it depicts, like, ideal people a lot, I think is what I read. Um, and so... In Sita's case, like, the ideal wife would be someone who goes with her husband when he's banished for 14 years and, like, does nothing but is virtuous and uh, chaste for him, blah, 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 blah. So she goes with him. She eventually gets kidnapped by Ravana, who's got ten heads and lots of arms. That's usually how he's depicted. Yeah. Who is the king of Lanka. This is before it's Sri Lanka. Then Rama's monkey friend, Hanuman goes and does some espionage and finds her there and he's like come with me and she's like no he has to save me that's what a good husband will do and so then there's a big war and then he saves her but he's like uh you might be pregnant or you probably slept with that dude like gross which is fucked up so he's like you have to do a trial by fire and puts her in a fire and like the fire god saves her because she is so pure and chaste and he's like okay i guess that was wrong and then they fly back and then he becomes king of ayodhya but then he's like, still has doubts, maybe that, because she gets pregnant, and he thinks that like, oh, maybe that's not my baby, maybe it's um, Ravana's baby. Well, the, the the I think the bigger issue is that the the people that he's ruling over are suddenly like mistreating oh. their wives like on mass, and it's because it seemed that Rama was so lenient on his wife that this like gives them an excuse to mistreat their own wives. So it's like he has to then like banish her in order to like set a precedent amongst the community. Right, which is what a good ruler would do. Right. Apparently. And she goes off, has twins, and then like they get reunited with Rama somehow because they hear him he hears them singing songs about him. Right. There's some like old wizard in the woods <laughs> that yeah. like teaches them stuff. Yeah. And so yeah, these twins still like sing the praises. Mm-hmm. Of Rama? Why? I don't know. I don't know. I really liked that song, by the way. And so eventually she's just like, all right, well, he like asked her to prove her worth again. And she's like, fine. Uh, if I've been pure and blah, 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 may the earth just swallow me up again. And it does. Yeah. The end. <laughs> That's Sita's story, basically. Yeah. So this like parallels what Nina Paley was going through with her husband. He like gets a job in India she eventually flies there to be with him, and then she goes away for a little while to New York for a meeting. And Yeah, she's got, like, a conference out there. And he wants to divorce her at that moment, and so she cries and gets sad. And then she realizes that uh, she's a strong, uh, independent woman on her own, and that she can make a fucking feature-length film if she wants. And she did. The end. Yeah, the story of Nina is really lackluster compared to the story of Sita. <laughs> So what really grabbed me this fir- the first time I saw this were the, the musical interludes, because this is a musical, and it's got music by Annette Hanshaw, who was a 30s crooner. And all those sequences, I guess there's maybe like eight or nine of them, are so good. Uh, they're fun. A, I like sort of blues music from that era in, in like bite-sized portion. And I don't know if they just edited it in that way or if she actually ended all the songs that way, but every song ends with, like, that's all. That's all. It also made me realize that uh, 
Lana Del Rey is a modern day blues singer. Uh, I swear to God, if you listen to Blue Jeans, Mariner's Apartment Complex, or Norman fucking Rockwell, they have like the same tone and like the same perspective that these like old ladies blues singers had. Mm, mm. Uh, yeah, like Blue Jeans is like about a guy who has to like go away to make money and she doesn't want him to. Okay. Like it's the exact thing. Mm. So every one of those songs is like, God, this is just like a Lana Del Rey song, except like a little bit more tasteful. I wish we knew what type of soda Annette Cranshaw's uh, pussy tasted like. <laughs> Let's see. 1930 soda. So probably like, Coca-Cola. My, my tastes like, like Coca-Cola. <laughs> Maybe she's just like, my cooter tastes like cocaine, that's all. <laughs> my pussy tastes like bicarbonate. <laughs> that's all. I don't know. I like all the songs, though. They're kind of mm-hmm. fun. They're kind of silly. Like, and the animation's different than how the animation is during yeah. other sequences. That one's all computer. It looks like computer, like vector graphics, flash animation. Yeah. Like the... It's almost sort of South Parky in a way. Okay, yeah. Like very two dimensional, yeah. Yeah, two dimensional, but it's it's sort of like South Park meets Disney's Hercules almost. Okay. Like the way Sita looks in there is almost like if South Park had tried to do their animation style towards uh, I can't remember the heroine's name in Hercules. Or maybe like Emperor's New Groove, that sort of thing. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's sort of a blend of those two animation styles, but it's it's sleek and smooth and it works yeah. it's very detailed like i used to love homestar runner i don't know if you remember oh, yeah. that website but that's just like really good flash animation mm-hmm. and that's all this is really but it's like it's stylized and elevated to a point because like i'm watching this and i'm thinking like i can see the like animated fire things moving but there's so many of them and they're moving like in time or like the very first scene when uh, i think it's supposed to be sita comes up out of the water and her hair is like moving in ringlets but there's just so much of that of the waves of the hair and then the waves of the water moving together that like this took a lot of care even though it's just simple animation it looks so good Mm -hmm. and it it feels lush even though it feels 2d somehow i don't yeah, know because it's, it's like it's it's layered and it's textured so like the idea that it's not super advanced animation doesn't really come into play like the way that like the water's animated mm-hmm. it's like an old school elementary play where there's just like <laughs> different blocks of wood for waves yeah moving against each other yeah, yeah. but the colors are nice and it's just it's sleek and it's professional and you're just there for it yeah it's so detailed. Like, there's just a lot of attention to detail. There was one song I was noticing this time around where she's singing in the garden and it's nighttime and the stars are just, like, turning. Like, they just kind of jump up and turn mm-hmm. and then jump up and turn. Like, all the stars in the background are doing that. And it's like, you don't have to do that, but it makes it feel alive, mm. you know? Little details like that are all over this movie. Yeah, it's like when I watch, like, a Miyazaki film, like... He puts in little things that would just eat into time as an animator, Mm -hmm. but really kind of like help the moment. Like he'll have scenes of like someone like climbing a mountain or a rock and like they'll slip and like, you know, shake their arms to like grab something else. It's like you could just have them climbing all the way up. Yeah. As an animator, you'd probably want to like cut out those little things that you don't absolutely need to. But it does help those moments. 
go along. Yeah. And another example would be like when the first song sequence when they're like being banished to the forest and like Rama's killing all the little demon things and they all explode in the same way. Mm. Like it's not annoying that they're all blowing up the same way. It's kind of fun. Yeah, because it's like it just keeps happening over and over and you know what's going to happen. But by seeing so many of them do it, there's something about that repetition that feels I mean, good. it's almost video game-esque, like when you kill sure. a bunch of baddies that like they all kind of die in the same way. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the jazz, the songs are good. And they all seem to kind of apply to what's going on. Yeah, they all seem right in there. And I, well, that's why I thought that initially the squiggly line animation stuff... Mm-hmm wasn't necessarily true it was just sort of a parallel like if this were to happen today this might be what it looks like oh okay and i thought that like putting in the blues it's like oh this is universal like this isn't a story that necessarily shows the values of that day this is stuff that happens throughout time yeah it's interesting because i guess yeah most people think of the ramayana to be about rama i'm assuming but it's just interesting to have it be told from a female perspective. Also, Rama is often depicted as blue. So Yeah. Is that a thing? That's a thing, yeah. That's why he's always that's why he's blue in this movie. But I mean, like are are people or certain men of a certain stature not often depicted in blue? Is that a something important to the story of Rama? Okay, now you're Should you just cut this out because I shouldn't have asked? No, 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 it's okay. Just now you're moving in in his realm. I think it's supposed to make like it sets him apart. Like that's he was special mm. and like because partially because he was blue mm. and he wasn't like the son of the genie from aladdin or something well who knows <laughs> i'm just being racist i'm not <laughs> i'm not a hindu scholar yet yet god that would take a lot of work i feel oh my god just like i i made the well, mistake of going to the hinduism the wikipedia, wikipedia page finish. and was like oh forget this no way i'm not going to become an expert on this anytime soon <laughs> like i'm quite certain that people devote their lives to it and mm-hmm. still feel like they've only covered certain portions of probably half Hindu for centuries history. actually yeah, yeah. well because like the three shadow puppety Storytellers can't even really decide when the story starts. Right, yeah. When? I don't remember what year. There's no year. How do you know there's a year for that? I think they say the 14th century. but The 14th century was recently. No, but I don't know. That's, That's when the, the, the Mughals were ruling. Babur was in India. The 11th century. <laughs> it's definitely BC. <laughs> They're so fun, actually. Well, because they seem like modern people. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the way that they're talking about, it, like, oh, why is Cita staying with this douchebag? Like, <laughs> they provide a modern perspective on the story. Why didn't she just go back with the monkey? <laughs> Could have saved the whole war. And yeah, they they just sort of, I don't want to say bicker, but they they're not all agreed upon with the finer points of the story. Right, yeah. Like, they all seem to agree on the broad strokes, but when it comes to the little details, like, well, I'm not really sure why they yeah. would do this, and, you know. And they 100% know the story, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't get the impression that they all, like, brushed up on it before being recorded for this movie. I feel like it was just like, why don't you all just tell me the story of uh, Rama and Sita? Go. Uh, n- yeah, it's like, I, I have no clue how well-known the story of Sita is in Hindu culture, but it's like, we both know the story of Job, and we're both a-religious people, but it doesn't matter. Like, it's just so much a part of American culture that we know it. 
or like Cain and Abel is another one too. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't even know. I I know the one killed the other. End of my knowledge. (laughs) I honestly don't. I'm just I'm tossing out another Bible story. Fun fact: she just has a a new movie that just came out. Her second film now. It's called Cedar Masochism, and it like kind of attacks Judaism and Christianity. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, interesting. So she does not like religion. She's an atheist, and was even though she was raised Jewish, she's very much like especially anti-Jewish, which I think is interesting. You don't hear that a lot. Uh, yeah, I guess you don't. We haven't mentioned this yet, but she's definitely a free culture activist. Yeah, she's like anti-copyright. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, is the 35-minute mark too early to dig into that? No, I think it's fine if you don't want to live off of royalties off of all your hard work forever. <laughs> I mean, I'm so divided on that idea of free culture. I don't know. I It's just, I don't want to take life advice from someone who, like, flew to India to someone who didn't bang her, and then, like, flew to New York without being like, it's over. Like, he was the one who initiated it. Yeah. I'd be like, fuck this shit. Of course it's over. Yeah. Bad judgment, I feel. <laughs> I mean, fuck, this is episode 136 now of... Something that, you know, we've been making for free for three years now. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm happy for that in mm-hmm. a way. Because we're not, we don't belong to anybody, man. We don't have to answer to anybody. We can do whatever the fuck we want. We can talk about uh, Annette Crenshaw's cooter all we want. Uh, <laughs> no one's censoring that. But there's a part of me that's like, I put a lot of time and energy into this. And I would love some money for it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It seems to me like... Fighting copyright is different than fighting compensating artists. Like, there's there's a difference there. Like, copyright seems to benefit more, like, distributors than artists. Yeah, I mean, it can, but, like, in this specific instance, because, like, I didn't look this up, but I'm assuming she's crowdsourcing it in some way. Yeah, I think it was crowdfunded, yeah. And, like, that's all well and good, and, like, she might get compensation for the project at hand, but that just means that, like, if she makes that and nothing else then income from it just stops. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you work really hard, you create like a body of work and it is successful and like money is being made. Cause like YouTube will probably make money off of it from enough views. There's ads when I watched it on YouTube. Oh, there was. Okay. Um, I don't know how much of that trickles back to her, but you know, YouTube is making money off of her. So it, part of me is like, if other people are making money off of it, she should also make money off of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole copyright debate came about because she was using the Annette Hanshaw songs. Okay. Really? Those are old songs. Like, a lot of old Madonna songs are public domain now. How are I Annette know. songs still copywritten? I don't know. She, she didn't, She's not like Billie Holiday or something. I don't know. She didn't die until, like, 85 or something. And it actually has to do with... My understanding is that it wasn't even, like, federal copyright laws. It was, like, individual state copyright laws. Oh, okay. That, like, it got caught up in Mm. um and so now this film is actually now in the public domain so she just was like fuck it i can't deal with this shit anymore it used to be creative commons license which allowed people to copy remix do all sorts of things with the condition that the thing you create is also under creative commons i think is how that works okay and so yeah after a while she's just like fuck it we'll public domain this shit and uh now yeah you can do whatever you want with this movie so ironically, this is probably the first movie we're doing where it's like 100% cool for me to just like take clips. It always is probably anyway under fair use. But yeah, like, uh, as long as the clip is under 30 seconds, 
and we're using it in a review purpose mm-hmm. or parody. Okay. Those are like the two things that you can like use copywritten material for like your own use is if you're reviewing it or if you're parodying it. Okay. You've looked this up. I have looked this up. Okay, cool. But yeah, so I could just like, I could put the whole movie in here right now. You could. Yeah. It wouldn't matter. Uh, well, we could do that with His Girl Friday. That's public domain. Okay. Yeah. And uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. And uh, Charade. Great. Copyright, like, it's complicated. To keep a copyright going, like, in perpetuity becomes more and more expensive as time goes on. Okay. Like, renewing the copyright on something that's 10 years old isn't super expensive. But renewing the copyright on something that's, like, 85 years old, like, is. Right. So, like, the idea is that the older things get, the more things become public domain. You would only keep the copyright going if the estate really has an interest in doing it. Mm -hmm. Like, that's why, like, all classical music's public domain, really. Like, the Beethoven estate just couldn't keep it up, like, in the long run. Also, I don't know what copyright laws were in 1850, but... (laughs) See, I don't know. I'm so torn because it's like I would do this podcast for free. I do do this podcast for free, but I want money for it because I put a lot of work and effort into it. Yeah. So there's a part of me that's like, well, that's where like the Patreon model comes in where you just pay per month regardless of output. Sure. So if anybody wants to kick in, uh, now's the time for that commercial. Yeah, we still haven't gotten our $35 for a shave and a haircut. (laughs) Come on. So I don't know how much you wanted me to hijack this with like copyright and trademark. No, law, but... I, this is part of the reason I picked this movie is because I wanted to talk about this oh, okay. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because even though the movie itself doesn't have anything to do with like just when on your viewing experience, you wouldn't know that there's all this copyright shit. Like it was like a big deal when it came out because it was just like a huge problem with the movie. Right. And it's like with... Because she's like, like that, these are a hundred year old songs. Like, what's the big deal? Especially the music industry. Like, the artists have like really gotten the shaft in like the royalties portion of that. Mm-hmm. Like, the music industry is notorious for really taking advantage of people who don't really quite have a good understanding of like long term money making schemes and advantages. Mm-hmm. But people wouldn't be pissed about royalties if they knew that it went primarily to the artists right but it's like you know i used to work at a cd store and it was always a you know a thing of you paid 15 to 20 bucks for a cd a dollar goes to the artists the rest goes to the record label yeah and it's like mm, i feel like it should be the other way around yeah see and that's what i mean like i think copyright while it is intended to maybe help compensate original ideas ends up just benefiting the people that produce the copies mm-hmm. you know so it's like even though the idea of copyright is great i think it fails because capitalism sucks yeah i i also think that part of it is like the movie industry i don't know how or why it got its act together in a different way but it did you know in, in a lot of ways like directors and screenwriters get the shaft more than the actors and, and actresses involved in a product do. Sure. And of course, I mean, movie studios still, the house always wins. Yeah. But actors and actresses, like especially like starring roles, don't quite get the shaft the way that like musicians did like forever. Yeah. My neighbor was a stunt double in the Power Rangers television show. Oh. And every year he gets a check for like 1200 bucks. <laughs> 
like royalties from, from like that show from the show. Wow! And he wasn't even a star; he was the stunt double. That's twenty years ago. Yeah, more almost than thirty. Twenty-five, yeah. Royalties in in like that entertainment division do kind of trickle down to like the people who actually like made it happen in some way. I don't know. Maybe right. the suits are still raking in million dollar royalties from Power Rangers or something like that. But yeah, he says like once a year he gets a check for like twelve hundred bucks. I mean, great, he gets twelve hundred dollars. How much of that is he not seeing? Is my question. Right, but he, this, I mean, this is like something that he worked on for like three or four years, twenty five years ago. Yeah. It's not bad. No, it's not bad at all. Yeah. You could go like, on vacation for we, that. When the fucking Power Rangers movie came out, he's like, yeah, I got my royalties check. I'm going to buy a car with it. Wow. Yeah. Was he in that movie too? No. No, it was just because when the new movie came out, it, it like created a, a interest in the old show. Oh. So like streaming and DVD purchases or whatever went up on the old show. So people uh, with all these um, revamps... Like, if you worked on one of the originals, you're like, pro. Yeah, you'll see some kickbacks from that, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Doesn't really uh, encourage original ideas, though. It, you're just on this because you just saw Parasite, and you're like, <laughs> look at this original movie, not attached to a franchise, <laughs> or a, it's not a remake, or... Wow, someone made something different and yeah. original. What do you know? <laughs> uh, reboot, that's what I was looking for, not revamp. But, you know, I don't know, like, there's something... To be said about something like this movie specifically, where like animation is time consuming. Uh, I think Nina Paley estimated she spent about almost 10,000 hours making this movie. And like she's responsible for. That's roughly five years of working full time. Yeah. And she's responsible for majority of the movie. Like when you watch oh, the really? credits, it's just like her. Nina Paley, Nina Paley. Yeah. Do we like, know how long it actually took her? Yeah. I think she said how many hours. Well, I mean, 10,000 hours, but like. If 2,080 hours is working full-time for one calendar year, did she work like 80 hours a week and get it done in two and a half? Did it take her three? Oh, did... it probably took her long in that. I don't know how many years. Okay. But I know that like her most recent one, the um, Cedar Masochism, she started it in 2012 and just finished it last year. Oof. So that's a six-year project. Oof. Like I'm sure that like crowdfunding is a part of that, like getting the money to do it, and then just like animating everything yourself takes a fucking long time yeah like animation is not a fast process that's why disney hires out several animators to do things well i mean i know south park pixar now yeah south park can do it on the cheap like they get writing to air date is like six days and they probably outsource the animation to like korea or something well i think they do animation in-house but it's the cheapest animation available to humanity Uh They've just been doing it for so long that they can make it look good for that cheap mm-hmm. and get away with it. But like an episode of The Simpsons still takes like minimum of six months. Yeah. From... They do outsource. I know they, they do. Yeah. They, they yeah. definitely send it to Korea, South Korea specifically, where they get their chicken balls from. Hello again. And I think the same thing, because I remember when there was that dispute where South Park had made fun of Family Guy, where it was just the... Uh, Manatees putting like, <laughs> like I love that volleyballs. episode. <laughs> uh, Seth MacFarlane was like, "Yeah, they'll get theirs in thirteen months." <laughs> Honestly, there, there's not a lot of meat to this movie. Let's, I'll be honest with you. It's the the joy in watching it comes from the visuals for me uh, most of the time. Yeah, there's some jokes. Like I like the, like I said, I like the shadow puppets trying to explain the story of Rama, and they're like kind of 
not sure what's going on with it. Uh, that's fun. But like whenever the musical numbers come on, I just get sucked into the beauty of that animation. Yeah. I mean, it is beautiful animation. And the I'm glad that it's varied. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes when animation just sticks to a certain style, it can be, I mean, unless you're something like, really gorgeous like a toy story movie with its sense of depth and lighting and things like that texture yeah the idea of kind of switching it up i think was smart sure and uh it tells you where you are in the story like they're all just gonna say that yeah they're all they're all different and they all have their own feeling i don't know i just think it's, it's a good job it's well done yeah i'm a big fan like you know we live in a time when everything's being revamped I do, or rebooted. <laughs> you got me on your problem now. But I do think it's sometimes important to highlight when themes and stories are universal. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really easy to nitpick a movie at, like, you watch an old movie. It's like, well, why don't they just, like, use their cell phone and, like, call this person or something like that? I like it when you're able to really accurately translate, like, an ancient story or an old story into modern times. Like, you know, if you're able to identify that the themes in the movie are universal and put it in a modern context, you know, like Clueless. Sure. I think it's important to do that every now and again. But I mean, you know, like Clueless, you wouldn't know that it had anything to do with Jane Eyre mm-hmm. or not, not Jane, Jane Emma. Austen. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, unless you were really told. Like, I don't think anyone watched Clues and like, oh, well, this is just Emma. But like with the modern portions of this movie... Like, I didn't realize that they were real. I thought that it was just a modern reflection of the Sia oh, story. Okay. Yeah. And that was good enough. I was just like, oh, this is just to show what it would look like in modern days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, I mean, it is. It's, it's not that it's not that. Yeah. But I thought that's all that it was. Does that add a layer of quality to this, that knowing that it's very deeply personal work? I don't know if it adds a layer of quality to it, other than I think she's a cat hater. <laughs> No, she got another cat when she moved to New York. She just replaced her cat? No, no, no. The subletters of her place took care of the cat, and it says in the credits that the cat's fine. It's probably dead by now. That's kind of a downer. But, uh, yeah, when she she finally, like, got, you know, moved to Brooklyn, she got her shitty apartment, she, like, she moved to a new one, and she got a new cat, and she's, like, working on her movie, and she's reading the Ramayana. All right, maybe this just speaks to my values more than anyone else. I will take my pet over a paramour any day. Like, if I had a choice between my dog and my boyfriend... Sorry, Michael. Dog! Well, I think when she has that phone call with him when he's in India, she says, like... What about me? What about Lexi? What about our apartment? Uh... What about us? I think she puts the cat first, but... Mm. Until when it push comes to shove, she's like, I've got to be with my man. Not something I can relate to. <laughs> I'm pro-pet over paramour. <laughs> I'm going to put that on a shirt. Okay. You'll have your all religion as a cult shirt, uh-huh. and I'll be like, pet greater than paramour shirt. <laughs> but you said they were married? Yeah. Uh, that tangles things up a little bit. Yeah, but also, like, divorce his ass. Like, yeah, dump the motherfucker already. God. Yeah, he does the real slow burn. Like, oh, I'm going to take this contracting job in India for six months. And then he's like there for a while. He's like, oh, it's just been extended a year. I'm like, 
I am falling out of love with this guy already. <laughs> yeah, he's not painted in a great light. You can tell this is a breakup thing. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, there's nothing in it that makes me think like, oh, what a catch. Yeah. It's so funny that we're talking so much about the modern day part of it, because I really thought that that was going to be a thing, A, that you hated, and that B, we weren't going to talk about very much. I mean, I'm not really for it, because it embodies like all the things that like I hate about modern relationships and modern romance. But so, I mean, like the animation style and things like that. Like. Oh, I'm definitely not crazy about the animation style. Okay, okay. Um, but I mean, I can, I can look past it. It wasn't rock and rule or something like that. <laughs> It's just, I personally don't understand someone who gets hopelessly devoted to someone. Like, if they were married, that is a thing. I can I can kind of respect that a little bit. But personally, I'd rather just pretend to be single for a year and keep the cat. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, and I think that that's maybe like the crux of the Ramasita story is because like there's the part where the shadow puppets are kind of arguing about that and she and one of them brings up that point he's like I think, I think this is me. this is the part of the female perspective that I disagree with because it's like then we can say oh yeah because she loved him so she did this you know it's like yeah but she shouldn't love someone who doesn't treat her who right treats you so badly okay that's her mistake that's hence unconditional love that's the last time we see the shadow people in the movie and so like I think that like hmm. it really just like underlines the fact that this is what women are expected to do. This is... Uh, They're conditioned to just yeah. be loyal to their man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. I mean, I mean that, that, that that's fair. I'm not a woman. I can't speak to how that is, is conditioned. But yeah, I just that's a part of me I don't have. No, me neither. But I feel like this film kind of highlights that disparity. Because, like, Rom is just expected to do all, all these male things. And, like, all, the only thing Sita is expected to do is be, like... A good wife. Yeah, uh, Sita is expected to be devoted and loyal, and even the idea that she's not loyal, like, they talk about this, like, the Shadow Puppets talk about this, like, even if she was raped, like, that is a deal breaker for Rama. I know! Whereas Rama, like, even if she was raped, all he has to do is, like, kill the kidnapper, and he's done his job as a man. Sure. He doesn't need to actually care for his wife right if she may or may not have been raped he's just like well i've done my part and like you know i warded off any injury to my uh uh dharma uh, i think is the word they okay use. yeah and so you can go now mm -hmm. also something that i don't relate to <laughs> yeah why would you fight a war and then just be like eh yeah that seems like a lot of effort for nothing yeah it's a little weird whatever but yeah like that's the whole thing is like the my impression is that the ramayana is all about ideal ideal yeah like ideal archetypes of people and uh in this case we're talking about sita as the ideal woman slash wife and uh this movie kind of questions that it's sort of like why would she do this mm -hmm. why would she be this way but you're still kind of on her side in a way i like, mean of course for sita in whatever year bc this was I'm sure that Hindu people love putting their years in before Christ terms. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, obviously, those were different times. And it's like she couldn't just leave her husband. Otherwise, she'd have to wear a, a, a cream bridal dress. <laughs> yeah, the, the Nina story. 
part of me kind of thinks like maybe this was just a wake up call. Like maybe like she found someone who was marryable and they got married and she didn't question it. Mm-hmm. And then like this shook her up and she's like, this is shit. You were saying at the beginning of the episode that she was raised Jewish and now she's very anti-Jewish. And a lot of those Orthodox people, they really pressure you to get married. Sure. To a good Jewish boy and sure. like, you know, do the whole like mother thing. And maybe this was just her wake up call being like, no, all this stuff that I'd been fed my whole life is bullshit. Yeah. She's also childless and loud about it. So <laughs> is she? Yeah. <laughs> Which go her. Yeah. Respect. I know we have friends who have kids power to parents. <laughs> but for those of us who don't. Ryan will never be able to afford $40 cheese <laughs> if he has kids. And God damn it, there is a cheese market out there that is dependent on people like Ryan. Well, there's a surplus in the United States now. Even though he is anti-capitalist, and if we were in some other sort of society, he would never be able to get cheese of that quality. No, just communist cheese. Oh, God. Just Can you imagine? I gag a little bit just thinking about that. <laughs> Cheese of the people. Oh, mm, that doesn't sound. It'd be good. Velveeta. You know, it'd be Velveeta. No, it, like never spoils. Oh, I don't even think you'd be able to get cheddar. Not yeah. that you eat cheddar. I don't think there's like a forty dollar cheddar out there. No. But yeah, next time you badmouth capitalism, just remember you buy free market cheese. <laughs> What's the and copyright you love on every those? minute of it? What's the copyright on those cheese recipes? Huh? All right, all in all, how'd you feel about this movie? Did you like it? I did enjoy it, yeah. Okay. Like, I wasn't, like, super wowed by it, but I was, A, surprised that you picked it, (laughs) but B, I was also surprised at how much I ended up liking it and how much I ended up actually, like, paying attention to it. Yeah. There is a power to this movie that isn't initially obvious, I think. I think it takes a second, but when you actually sit down and view it, it's rewarding. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It's available. You can fucking download it. It's on lots of streaming services. You can watch it right now. This is one of those The crazy thing is that there's a DVD available, but if you try and like buy it on Amazon, it's like $190. Cuz they only pressed 4,999 of them. Oh. And at least one of them went to Roger Ebert cuz I read his review of it. And uh yeah, they sent him one of them. Okay. So. Okay. What's his uh his widow's name the widow ebert i don't know she has a name oh well whatever i was gonna make a joke about how she's inflating the market by collecting them all wow even after i tried to school you with your cheese capitalism (laughs) you're trying to figure out how the widow ebert is making ends meet these days by selling off his begotten dvd collection all in all copyright is bad pay us for this podcast Matt, what? Tell me what's happening next week. When we started out the season, we did John Carpenter's Christine, mm-hmm. and I got a giddy little thrill out of doing a director that we hadn't done before. So I kind of just want to do that again. So I'm going to do Martin Scorsese's... Never heard of him. After Hours. Oh, never heard of that. Sort of a middle era Scorsese. Stars the dude from American Werewolf in Paris. Or in London, I'm sorry. I've never seen this movie less than really fucking drunk. Oh. But 
that's also sort of like an ideal state to see the movie in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is the inverse before sunrise. Okay. Because you know how like b- before sunrise is like every sort of like fun, romantic first date thing you've ever had happen to you in mm-hmm. one movie? Yeah. This is like all the shitty things that happen after 2 a.m. when you're trying to get laid in like one night. <sighs> Great. Sounds fun. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Want to plug our junk and get the fuck out of here? Well, we have finished the chicken picnic. <laughs> Yo, we've got a Twitter account. It's at X Rated Movies. We have a Facebook page at Rated X Movies. Do it up for the youth. Yo, yo, yo. We have a Facebook page at Rated X Movies. You can send us an email at the whack email address of x.rated.movies at gmail.com. And go to our wicked new website, xratedmovies.com, and chickity check out all the cool new stuff there. If you want to have a cowabunga good time, you should also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Overcast, wherever you get your radical podcasts. Now you're just quoting Teen Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's what's hip, right? Okay, that was the worst thing you ever made me do. <laughs> Let's go home. Also, we have a Patreon, just on topic. If you want to pay us money, that's some way to do it. I haven't looked at it in years. Maybe you've already paid me for this, and I don't know. Wait, uh, a Patreon outside of the shaving one? Yeah, no, that's a GoFundMe for the oh. shaving. But we have a Patreon set up. I haven't looked at it in that a long time. That must have been from our early days. Because I just assumed no one wanted to pay for this. So. I mean, if I didn't know it was there. <laughs> I know. We do love you. We appreciate you, listeners. I, ho- I don't want to make it sound like we don't appreciate our listeners. I do appreciate our listeners. I don't appreciate... Facebook has done further revamps to pages... And I'm getting less notifications now than I ever have in the past. Maybe we should dump Facebook. Maybe it's time to dump Facebook. I mean, I guess I'll keep it there. But yeah, uh, uh, to our listenership, if you want to contact us, don't do it through Facebook. They give very few notifications now. So it's like, unless I go and like manually check everything, like Uh I don't see it anymore. Okay. Yeah. So Twitter would be the best place to get a hold of us. What is our new go to? Email's good, too, because I check that pretty frequently now. Okay, so x.rated.movies at gmail.com. Send us an email or get us on Twitter. All right, well, until next week, after hours. Sounds good. Uh, Keep reaching for that rainbow. Rainbow.